is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. Put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cock. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. That is Sly and the Family Stone from Woodstock. This is Psalm 34 from the King James Version. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's from Psalm 34. We welcome Guy Huglet to the studio. Hey, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's, it's uh, Saturday. It's yeah. early. Yeah, it is early. Beautiful morning. Sunrise yeah. was pure. Did you see the moon? No, I didn't. The moon was as bright as it could be this morning driving in. Really? Yeah. That's beautiful. The night Great pathway. Th- yeah. Yes, sir. Well, we had had a guest this morning. We have a guest. He hasn't arrived yet, so we're going to uh, be ad-libbing it a little bit as we go. And uh, this is the... Um, this is the fiftieth uh, anniversary of Woodstock, and uh, Bo is familiar with uh, a lot of that, and they've been talking about it all week. And Bo, tell me something about it. Tell me what what you've been going through this week. Well. Because I've been here for the last five nights in a row. Uh, Dick Gabriel and I started literally with the Thursday set of Woodstock, which was a lot of the folk music, which was Joan Baez and Arlo Guthrie and uh, a lot of folk artists that you would not have heard of. And so then we gradually moved in Thursday to all the rock and roll and the psychedelic stuff that Dick and I are into on the second day of Woodstock. And then yesterday we took a break for our Elvis tribute. And today, this morning, we're going to pick it up with the uh, day three of Woodstock. And we just heard Sly and the Family Stone, who actually performed three o'clock in the middle of the night. Really? Going into day three, which actually would have been Sunday 50 years ago. So we heard from Sly Stone, we're getting ready to go into the Who, which would have played at six o'clock Sunday morning. 
And then we'll tie it times out just right. Uh, going into the eight o'clock hour here, we'll hear from uh, the Jefferson Jefferson uh, airplane. But you think about it, four hundred thousand people, four hundred thousand, and that I don't know. That number may have expanded over the years because now I'm seeing numbers that it was five hundred thousand people on a farm with all these acts. And I was talking to somebody yesterday, and, and they were there for how many days? days i mean you know you think it started it was actually four days but they say three days yeah so add on a couple more days of people starting to come into the farm and just hanging out before the festival actually got started right and it literally it was a city total city it it was a city and it kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier it was being a self-sufficient city right and they all had it was all under one voice one common ideal uh, about the political state at the time. Yep. And it's amazing that all these people came together for this. Right. And, um, you know, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not getting into any of the politics behind it all and what side you are on the Vietnam war and all that or anything. I'm all about the music. And what I have found interesting is the stories behind the artist and how they ended up at Woodstock and kind of all the little, all the little details behind the scenes is what's really uh, piqued my interest about Woodstock. Like Joan Baez, she refused to eat the food there because she was six months pregnant and she thought it was laced with LSD. Right. You know, uh, hey, Joan, um, here's the nacho dip that Country Joe brought. It's good, but <laughs> it's good. You might see three-headed dragons during your set, yeah. but try some, you know. And Right. So th- those are the stories that I'm really into when it comes to Woodstock. Yeah. Well, it was um – I was 12 years old at the time, and uh, I just remember all the music that came out of it. And I started collecting albums right about then. Uh, you know, started when I would go out and mow the lawns for people. I'd save up four, five, six bucks. I'd go down and buy uh, somebody's album. And, uh, you know, it was. It was just what I did. Um, the music formed me in many ways. It made me into the way that I think. Um, that was just uh, that was just what it did. Do, do we have our guest on the line? Okay, he's calling in. All right, uh, good. Morning, Chris. Good morning. Yes, sir. Hey, welcome. Thank welcome. you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad you can be with us this morning. Chris, uh, yeah. welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This is Christopher Known. Is it, is that how you pronounce your last name? None. None. Okay. Yes, sir. You're the executive director of the North Lyme uh, Community, Community Devel- Development Corporation. Right. Yeah. Since June 2014. And I think you've yes, got you've got an interesting uh, background yourself uh, in terms of well, I, yeah. I mean, I think everyone's got an interesting background, but I've I've been fortunate to be able to do a lot of different things in my life. Yeah, yeah. Ba- master of uh, or bachelor's of trumpet performance at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, got an ar- master's of architecture from UT in Knoxville, and uh, That's correct. you've come down here to. Uh, lead this uh, the North Lyme Community Development Corporation and uh, it's fascinating the things that you guys do I got to ask you a quick well, question Chris let me let me interject here real quick this is guy yeah, um, yeah. I, and I apologize just for for the confusion I I thought when I emailed you I emailed you the address to the iHeart radio studio for you listeners he he didn't get the address to find us so that's why he's calling in I just yeah. want you all to know that uh, fine tell me something as a old Lexington guy I'm a third generation Lexingtonian and I've yep. watched North Lyme for years and I know a lot about the history of North Lyme but I'm most interested first and foremost as to what attracted you to Lexington, Kentucky. I know Madison, Wisconsin. I know where you yeah. came from. That's an incredible community. So it is. tell us a little bit about that and how you got here first before we get into what the incredible work is that you guys are doing. 
Well, sure. Um, well, as you said, Madison is an incredible place. Um, it's a very progressive place. Um, but what I came to find out was that it's not um, – when, when the rubber hits the road, it's not actually that progressive. There's a lot of people who talk about being progressive, but when they talk about, you know, uh, bringing diversity into a neighborhood or, or something like that, people get much more nimby. Um, uh-huh. And oh, really? I wouldn't, wouldn't have yeah, thought that yeah, it's, about it's, it. It's, it uh, you know, it's easy to be progressive when everyone's like you. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Well, that's and a good so, point. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I came and visited Lexington, uh, well, full disclosure, uh, I, I came to Lexington because um, – Griffin Van Meter is married to my wife's second cousin. Oh, okay. And so, there you and go. so they had come to make a family visit, and uh, Griffin and Richard Young had just uh, secured the Art Place grant in 2013 that got the whole organization started. Mm-hmm. And Griffin said, hey, you know, I've been trying to get all kinds of people down here to take this job to build houses on York Street, and I don't have any takers. Would you be interested? And I said, well, yeah, I'd love to. And so I really? came down and visited in January of 2014. So it's a family and, affair. Well, kind of. Yeah. Well, kind of. I mean, yeah. you know, when when your wife's grand, grandfather and and her grandmother were sister and brother, you know, that's that's uh, not they didn't grow up together necessarily. Right. They knew of each other, but Yeah. Um, you know, having all kinds of family ties here in Lexington, Cynthiana, Williamsburg, um it, the appeal of being close to that side of the family and getting to know them was really pretty strong component of the choice to move here. Well, you're an um, architect by trade, correct? I'm what? Are you an architect by trade? Uh, I am almost an architect. Almost. Since we're on the radio, okay. I will say that I'm not quite licensed, but oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm darn, darn close. Yeah. i got All two right. more tests to take. So, okay, almost. Um, All right. Yeah, I don't want the AIA to sue me for misrepresentation. But, <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, I yeah, like that. Architecture is my my main my main field of expertise. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I came down here and I was really taken with how, you know, as I learned more about the history and guy, you were talking about the history of that neighborhood. It's really a place that has been the seat of so much wealth and so much poverty both i know in in you know in the 200 years to three, uh, you know 250 years that it's been here i mean obviously lexington was founded in 1775 and you know ever since then there are these huge mansions the james brand house on rose hill the um the morton house right across the street we've got all these mansions on broadway and i was just really taken with how there was this incredible disparity between the mansions and the shotgun houses and, you know, Brucetown was created as basically a, a, a company town by W.W. W. Bruce right. for all of the employees, of, all of the freed slaves that worked at his hemp processing facility that was used to be Baker Iron right on the corner of 7th and North Limestone. So, so Baker Iron and, was a hemp and, processing facility. It was. That's yep, interesting. Right after the okay. Civil War. Right after the uh, Civil War. Okay. You know, a wealthy, wealthy white man who was descended from lots of other wealthy white men. Right. Um you know, started this hemp processing facility, and they brought it in on the railroad. And, um, you know, hemp is incredibly labor-intensive. Yes. And so he was able to get rich. He subdivided that prop- that that plat into 200 properties and basically paid his workers, who then turned around and paid him back most of his money for rent for the privilege of living on the grounds. So, Interesting. You know, uh, not unlike the way company coal towns work in East Kentucky. Right. So, a lot yeah. of people wouldn't know that history unless you guys were talking about it. Yeah, and and it's you know it's it's important I think when you drive through that neighborhood to understand that it, everything looks the way it looks for a reason. And you know we have a we did a project that was led by Richard Young. Um, we published it in 2017 called the Cultural Plan North Limestone Cultural Plan dot org. You can go to download it, or you can get it through our website, nolicdc.org. Um, and that cultural plan has a whole section in the beginning that talks about the history of the neighborhood, talks about the evolution of North Limestone from a buffalo path to uh, you know a, a horse and wagon path. It was the main artery that brought 
materials down from the Ohio River. You know, all these things that you look at the street now and you think, well, it's just kind of the the younger step sibling to North Broadway in terms of, you know, traffic and all that. But it really is a, an ancient road. Um, yeah, it was so one of the main thoroughfares in its time. It correct? was. Right. Yeah. And, and Carl Rates uh, wrote a book. Uh, Carl Rates, who's a professor of, I believe, geography here at UK, um, wrote a book called Frontier Highway that is really an, an awesome sort of exploration of that road and its evolution from a buffalo trace to what it what we see now um but you know all of that history led me to understand that you know to come and just do something that i considered to be really interesting or impressive was really a pretty empty pursuit you know and and even in the process of building 17 houses on york street i realized so many of the hurdles that exist in trying to um, have a bigger mission than just to build houses. Um, to be honest, one of the things that we were most interested in uh, was trying to use home ownership and land ownership as a way of shrinking the wealth gap between the races. I mean, if you mm -hmm. if you know, um, there's been a lot of research lately talking about how the wealth gap between white and African American is about tenfold, and the vast majority of that results from all of the the legal ways that African Americans were denied home ownership for the past 120, 130 years, basically since Woodrow Wilson. Right. Um, and I mean, going all the way back to Andrew Johnson and, you know, taking away the, the 40 acres and a mule provision of uh, reconstruction. So, you know, that you look around and you think, wow, there are a lot of poor folk and there are a lot of people of color. Why is that? And, and it's not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand why why that is the way it is. And so our goal was to try and create an affordable sort of starter home. And what we discovered was that the people who could afford that were young, white college grads who had down payments from their parents. Right. And so, you know, that, that's been, you know, a process of our evolution to understand that. And, as a reality of the way the economics in America works today. Yeah. Now, so, Chris, that's really been a big, that's been a lot of the energy behind North Lime 2 redevelopment. Is that is that a fair yeah. statement? I mean, a lot of the college kids graduated said, hey, I oh, want to live and I mean, work here. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, this nation has seen a trend where millennials want to live in urban environments. They don't want to live in suburbia. They want to live somewhere where they can walk. They want to live somewhere where they can go to, you know, services nearby. They want to live somewhere where they have multimodal transit, biking, bus access, right. things like that. Um, they and, want, yeah. And, yeah, so in North Lyme, of the three dozen investors and developers that I've encountered, with the exception of two, they've all been white males who did not, right. don't have any previous ties to the North Limestone community. And so there's a reason why that investment feels like it's displacing people because everybody doing it is is not connected to that place. Right. Now and I want to so, ask you this question. Let me because I want to, and I know we're yeah. going to take a break here soon. Yeah. But uh, one of the one of the things that I have been enamored by with North Lime Community Development Corporation is its passion for revitalizing all areas of North Lexington, not just one area like affordable housing. I know it, it all right, began right. as a result of affordable housing, but let's speak to that first. Yeah. Well, it's talk not, to it's, me about you know, affordable housing. What does that really mean? Okay. What, what does affordable housing really mean? It really mean in this, in this context. <laughs> Because I think that's well, a big part of what I, you I all are dealing that, with. That, you know, census tract two and three, uh, if you look at your census tracts, which is where you get your data from is the census, uh -huh. um, those census tracts are the poorest in the county. Correct. And when you start talking about affordable housing, they peg their income standards to the countywide median income. Mm -hmm. And so the median income in Fayette County is about $68,000 a year. Right. The median income in those census tracts is about fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars a year. Really? Wow! So when you're ta when you're talking about what people can afford, there's a huge disparity there. And so when the federal government or the city's affordable housing fund, who we were fortunate enough to get funded through, 
um, say, well, you've got to you've got to sell to people who make less than 80 percent of that median income. That you know, for a single person, works out to be about uh, thirty-nine thousand dollars a year. When people on the street come up to me and say, "How much do I got to make to qualify for one of these?" and I say, "Well, you just got to make less than thirty-nine thousand dollars a year," they say, "Man, if I made that much, I would be rolling." You know, <laughs> I make, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm drawing seven hundred dollars a month check, or I'm drawing a thousand dollars a month disability, or I work for seven twenty-five an hour at McDonald's, or you know, used to be Rite Aid, right. or you know, I make. $12 an hour at Walmart, and I spend three, three hours a day on the bus to get there, you know. Right, right. Those, are the, those are their lived experiences. And so I realized how naive and how, um, you know, just, just the disparity between what we were calling affordable housing. It was insulting to them because they're like, that's not affordable. That's affordable to some people, but that's not even attainable to me. So then you know, really trying to dig into what that what that means at their level, at you know, for their community, what what that means. And a lot of times what that means is that they can't afford to live in anything that's uh worth living in. You know? Yes. We got people living in houses that have don't have running water, don't have flushing toilets, leaky roofs, mold, gas leaks, some have dirt floors. I mean it's really and they do it. They do it beautifully. I mean, there are people that get by and and are, you know, it's not like they're. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like to to say all those things is to say that they're living in squalor, but there's still people who have a lot of pride and a lot of, uh, you know, they're beautiful people. So, um, well, it's becoming it's an, just it's an education process for us, isn't it, Chris? We we don't really understand yeah. what affordable housing means to certain folks, and you yeah. guys have really changed well, me, that yeah. message, in my opinion. I mean, I really yeah. Well, I wanted to I wanted to break down one example for you. Okay, there was a woman who. Uh, the, do we have to take a break? Yeah, we got to take a break in uh, about a minute. So go ahead. All right. Go. Well, well, why don't I why don't I hit you with that example after the break? If okay. That's all right. All right. Okay. You know, uh, it'll take me more than a minute. Right, <laughs> Chris. There was a guy at Auburn University, an architect down there, who built very Daniel Mockby. Yes. He, he yeah. Probably studied in Hale County, Alabama. That's right. And you probably yeah. studied some One of, of my his, heroes. Yeah, I love me it too. I bought his book, and I've looked at uh, the uh, things that they and that they were able to build some truly affordable housing for people. Well, they were. The way they were able to do it was because they had free labor through the students. They had an incredible uh, donated materials program. They had very lax building codes in rural yeah. Hale County in Alabama, and they didn't actually show all of their costs they okay. didn't show any land costs I because see. the people they built for already owned their property for the most part all right we got to um, take our break right here stay with us it you're listening to the tom dupree show it's news radio 630 wlap the unemployment rate is at a 48 year low most people that want to work are working if you're trying to fill open positions at your business you'll have to find your next candidate from the currently employed iHeartMedia can help you spread the word to 93 percent of the u.s population that's right 93 percent use this radio station to find your next employee who's driving to or sitting at their current job you'll have your pick of the most qualified candidates for any position you have available we can help go to iheartworks.com that's iheartworks.com help lexington.com presents the world's worst boss the one who posts jobs on huge national job sites looking for anyone with a pulse we'll just call him dave officer thank goodness you're here you said it was an emergency and it is we have some positions in senior management that need to be filled pronto <sighs> not this again i'm telling you our benefits are criminal and you can't stay on the force forever all right boys roll out wait Hey, where's the fire? I'm so glad you're here. Don't be a Dave. Find your perfect local employee at HelpWantedLexington.com. Local jobs that work. This weekend, come to our party. We'll have farm fresh food, like Kentucky-grown produce, beef, pork, and more. There'll also be good music, family fun, fine people, and some local pride thrown in for good measure. It's all here at a Kentucky farmer's market near you. And it's the freshest party in town. For more information, visit kyproud.com. Unclear when several beaches in northwest Indiana outside Chicago will reopen. A steel plant released cyanide and ammonia into a river emptying into Lake Michigan. There's been a large fish kill. 
Barb Lusco is harbor master at the public marina in Portage, Indiana. The odor is unbelievably bad because they decay pretty quickly, so the odor is just awful. You can't stand it. A one-mile section of lakefront in the Indiana Dunes National Park is closed. The state of Indiana demanding steelmaker ArcelorMittal pay for the cleanup. More than two dozen local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies are lending personnel to Portland, Oregon police. The city is set to be the scene of dueling rallies by extremists Saturday. Neo-Nazis plan to rally, and self-described anti-fascists will counter-protest. Pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong are nearing the end of a 10th week. School teachers taking to the streets Saturday night, an overflow crowd marching to the official residence of the city's leader. Richard Cantu, ABC News. Dealing with a very steamy weekend kicking off on this Saturday. Mix of sunny clouds across the area. That afternoon high making a run at 90, but the threat is there for a scattered thunderstorm or two. We'll keep an eye on that. A lot of dry times. That'll carry us into Sunday. Upper 80s to low 90s. Heat index will be a little toastier than that. Chance for an afternoon thunderstorm. Replay that forecast to start the work week on Monday. Make it a great weekend and stay cool, everybody. I'm WKYT Chief Neurologist Chris Bailey on your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24 7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP and iHeart Radio Station. Calling all youth soccer players. Join Kentucky Soccer Thursday, August 22nd for UK Soccer Fan Day. Soccer Fan Day includes a free skills clinic for kids autographs from your men's and women's soccer teams and free admission to the women's home opener versus Bowling Green at 730. Want to sign your kid up for the free skills clinic? Register today at ukathletics.com slash soccer fan day. Registration is limited, so act fast. That's Thursday, August 22nd at 6 p.m. Followed by the women's soccer home opener at 730. Visit ukathletics.com slash fan day for more info. Whoa, slow down, Mama. You almost missed this message. You have a million reasons to stop smoking, and your baby is the most important one. At 1-800-QUIT-NOW, get the one-on-one help you need to stop smoking. No judgment, no meetings, just a sympathetic ear, and free gift cards for your progress. If you're pregnant or have children, stopping is the best thing you can do for their health and yours. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit quitnowkentucky.org. Matt and Kelly love the county fair because the foods as much fun as the rides. It's why they secure their dentures with Super Poly Grip to make sure everything is on the menu. We have a winner! Poly Grip! Sounds like a house party. I'm here! That's Aunt Marie. She likes to turn up in style. And thanks to Polydent, her denture is so clean and fresh, she can work the room with confidence. Polydent! 630 WLAP. Song called My Generation. People try to put us down. My generation. Just because we Back on the Tom Dupree show. More of uh, Woodstock from 1969. And we still have on the line with us chris non or chris nun chris you there yes sir yeah um chris is the head of the no lie uh uh community development corporation and chris um i just want to know that i want you to know that uh as you were talking about affordable housing i could feel the tension that goes on uh between um well a lot of it is between races uh in in terms of i'm in the investment business and uh i've been doing it for 42 years but i've been around it all my life and there's uh there's there's certain things that are knowledge bases about how to build capital and how to build equity that um sometimes are passed down within families uh but it's a culture of building equity that you learn and understand um and racially there's a disparity there because in the uh african-american community communities of color as you say there are not these um fundamental uh sometimes passed down 
uh, cultures of, of capital building. And so it's very difficult when you get in a position of, you know, you're making $12 an hour working at Walmart or, or uh, McDonald's or somewhere. And yeah. I, my heart goes out to people like that who would like to do better for themselves and as you said about Samuel Mockby, when, when they were building in Hale County, Alabama, they were able to do some things. But as you say, they had donated time and effort, similar to what occurs with Habitat for Humanity, things like that. Correct. But yep. um, I, I feel your heart around those issues, uh, and there's no easy answers to it. Um it doesn't it's just i mean it's taken it's taken hundreds of years to get to where we're at and it's not going to get solved overnight that's for sure i completely agree with you on that chris hey chris um yes sir tell us the story about uh that you were going to tell us right before the break because i really would love to hear that so (laughs) so i um it was written up in the herald leader a couple years ago but it's a story that i've that has you know, continued to play out. Uh, the woman who uh, lived on Seventh Street, she and her husband, who had uh, passed about a year before I met her, um, had had periods of homelessness in their life. They had traveled, you know, they had kind of wandered about from Cincinnati and uh, down through Central Kentucky and ended up in Lexington. And she, I encountered her in the middle of July pushing a save buggy full of gallon jugs of water. And I hopped out of my desk and one of the few times I was in my office because I'm usually out talking to people as opposed to sitting at my desk um I ran out and I said what you know I thought this can't be good you know I thought you just love purified water and she said no I haven't had running water in my house since February turns out that the the water line had frozen and burst and her landlord who is uh, a fairly prolific landlord in the neighborhood had just come and turned her water off to prevent it from leaking um and so, as a result, she hadn't had any water in six months. Her landlord hadn't fixed the pipe. Man. Um, and this woman had been paying $250 a month. She, it was a handshake agreement. She had no lease. Um, and so, she, as an extension, she had no protections. She had no, no lease to fall back on if she wanted to, you know, wanted to try and take her landlord to court. Uh, it was basically just a verbal agreement, gentleman's agreement. And so... I said, well, you know, I'd laid out her options, and one of those options was to call code enforcement and get her house condemned. I said, now, when they do that, you will get kicked out. And she said, I've, you know, I don't care anymore. I've had it. I've had it with this place. I want my landlord to, to basically be held accountable for these conditions. And so, sure enough, code enforcement came, condemned the house, said you have to be out. The sheriff came and removed her from her house. Uh, as an added insult to injury, uh, the code enforcement officer was required by law to call animal control because she had three dogs oh, uh, who were all malnourished um, because she couldn't afford to, you know, she had said she hadn't been to a doctor in 10 years, um, so she couldn't afford to take her dogs to a vet either. So animal control came, took her dogs, euthanized all her dogs. Oh, um, and so now, now this woman, her landlord was held accountable, but she was now homeless and without the only companions she had left in the world and so i've just felt like i had taken this woman you know out of the frying pan and straight into the fire and so for the next month we worked to find her a place to live she lives on uh social security which is uh 700 and some dollars a month and so we could not find anything uh we were very thankful for the emergency services uh program of uh of the um, adult and tenant services, which is under social services in the city. Uh, Chris Ford's purview, uh, Connie Godfrey, mm-hmm. did a, an incredible job of helping us out. But, you know, they put her up in a hotel for, I think, 10 days was the maximum. And they gave her $800 toward her um, moving expenses and uh, first month's rent and security deposit. But that doesn't go very far. And if you can't find a place that you can that's sustainable that you can afford, that's only a temporary solution. So we ended up, after looking at probably 30 places that were all too expensive for her, uh, ended up getting her into uh, 
one of the housing authorities senior um, apartment complexes in the east end and she now pays 30 percent so basically they take her income and take 30 percent of that and say that's how much you pay so she pays 209 dollars a month and i can tell you that those spaces are so hard to come by so the reason why i told you that story is because the federal government says you shouldn't be spending more than 30 percent of your income on housing and when it's subsidized, uh, such as senior housing, something where HUD gives money, they actually cap it at that so that you don't pay more than 30%. But the reality is that so many of our neighbors are paying 60, 70, 80% of their income on housing. Um, and when you think of taking your income and putting 80% of that toward housing, how much you have left for the rest of life, food, transportation, entertainment, clothing, um, it really makes life pretty impossible. And so, you know, the only way that she was able to live for $250 a month was because her house, her, her landlord hadn't spent any money on improvements in decades. And that's what you see in this neighborhood is that the choice is, a, you know, sort of a non-choice where you've either got substandard housing or homelessness. And as these developers come in and buy up properties, the folks who are getting displaced from those houses that don't have running water or have dirt floors or don't have working heat. We have neighbors who heat their houses with their oven. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yes. not um, not unheard of. You know, that those folks now have to make a choice of where they're going to go. Are they going to go to a shelter and split up their family? You know, men's and women's shelters are separate typically. Um, or are they going to be homeless? Or are they going to move into another one of these houses where they know that, you know, the roof's going to leak and the pipes are going to freeze and all of that. So that's the that's the landscape that I've come to understand. And I certainly didn't understand it immediately, you know. No. Being a, being a young whip from Wisconsin, it's like, you know, I thought, <laughs> well, I'm smart. I can figure this out. And, and a trumpet and player. When, <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. I think that, you know, that's the other component of it that's really important. And I think that it tends to get overlooked because it really – sits further up on Maslow's hierarchy, that, that pyramid of, of needs that people go through. You know, at the bottom is, like, food and shelter and right. safety. Yeah. And then as you move up, you get to the top of the pyramid, and the arts and, and enjoyment and happiness are all up there at the top. And it's like, if, if folks aren't having those base needs met, trying to do murals or create public spaces for enjoyment and happiness tend to seem hollow because... You know, you're trying to build the peak of a pyramid on something where there's no foundation. Yeah. So you. So. Let, let me ask yeah, you this, ahead. Chris. So this story, I I did. I read the story in the the Herald Leader, and it just, I mean, it's devastating. I mean, you there's a quote in there where you went to her house and you stepped in her bathroom floor and it went down four inches and. Oh and yeah, her, it was it was you know she had a was, she had a garden sprayer head rigged up as the it, shower head. And her heating bill was three to five hundred dollars a month, and I mean just yeah, it was way more than her rent. Yeah, it's just crazy stuff. Exorbitant. Yeah. But as a result of this, I mean, you realized being on the front lines, and it took a long time for you to see really what some of the challenges were for the folks that live in North Lexington. Is is yeah. this what really was the the uh, precipitous from behind the equity audit that you all did in 2018? Is that what kind of drove that was, this? That was part of it. Yeah, part of it was that. Part of it was trying to understand what our neighbors and our partners knew of our work because we kept hearing, you know, we had partners who knew about one aspect of our work because they worked with us on it. Um, you know, we just finished up a grant uh, that primarily focused in Castlewood Park where we had 23 different partners working on a project called Plant and Play, trying to get our neighbors engaged with nature. And even those partners had very little understanding of the fact that we run the night market, had very little understanding of the fact that we had de developed a bunch of houses, very little understanding of the fact that we had done work. We built a park on a Kentucky American Water um, property on York Street, muraled the tank. That was a community-led uh, that, that is one of the coolest in response things. response to... Yes, the well, York Street. And, and that was really yeah. in response to... Seeing that a lot of murals go up in this town without any input from the local community. An artist shows up, they come up with an idea, they come and paint it, and sometimes people love it and sometimes people hate it. But like it or, like it or hate it, 
that artist has gone back to, you know, South America or Europe or Southeast Asia and taken a picture of it, put it in their portfolio and moved on. Well, I want and, to, I want to tell our listeners yeah. this, Chris, if between Loudon Avenue and 7th Avenue on North Lime, just drive yeah. down there and you will see York Street. It's a one-way street. So which whether way you're coming from, New Circle Road or from downtown Lexington, Turn onto York Street. It's one way. You will see these shotgun houses. It's the first thing you see, and it's yeah. spectacular. The colors and what Thank y'all you. have done. I love it. And then you then you drive down, and there's the, the water tank park with the mural. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. Yeah. Right in the heart of, of North Lexington. You guys should well, be really, you. really proud. Uh, but we you, are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things you can probably tell that there's not anything that's uh, perfect. You know, that that mural project we did in response to lots of murals going up without community input. And so we partnered with uh, an artist on 7th Street who then got his nephew involved. We then partnered with the Art League, which is a neighborhood uh, nonprofit up in the Loudon House in Castlewood Park. Uh, two of their artists were the people that actually painted it. And then they ended up needing help, and so we hired uh, two people off of York Street who came and actually painted. And if you look at that, you know, you've got all the people who worked on it, Keaton Young and Lennon Mahalski and uh, Charles Browning and Terry Stout all signed it. But then over to the side, Donnie Hen- Donald Hendrickson jumped the fence one night, uh-huh. painted his name on it because he was so proud of having worked on that <laughs> that he was like, damn it, I'm going to have my name on there too. <laughs> And, you know, that for me really showed that there was a sense of, of ownership there that I think goes a long way toward making, making people feel like they're involved in the process. If things are just happening without their involvement and they don't have any points of commonality with it, it's much easier to be bitter toward it or toward, to, um, you know, to resent it. So, so, as, yeah. so you all did this equity audit. Do you want to speak yeah. to that? Because sure, yeah, it's, I, I it's was a fairly, quite impressed. You know, it can get kind of jargony. I, well, I know, but just a, kind of give us the high points of what you really yeah, saw. Yeah, well, there's a lot of work in being done around diversity, equity, and inclusion. DEI. Uh, a lot of it's done on college campuses, uh, and we, after lots of criticism from a few uh, a few critics on social media our board decided that we really needed to take stock in what people knew about our work and take stock in what uh, our neighbors and partners wanted us to be working on. You know, did they want us to be doing sustainability work, building rain gardens in Castlewood Park? Did they want us to be doing programming? Did they want us to be building houses? Did they want us to continue doing the night market? And so we partnered with Desiree Attaway out of North Carolina and basically administered this audit where a survey went out. Uh, We had, I think, 220 respondents. Um, It was all done online, so even that was not perfectly equitable because people who don't have access to the Internet or didn't ever see the link didn't get an opportunity. I did walk around the entire neighborhood and leave flyers, door hangers on everybody's door within Uh a quarter mile of our office, so I felt like that was at least a start in terms of the effort. But the results of that audit said that People didn't really know all the things that we did. They didn't really understand the concept of a CDC. Uh, are you government? Are you uh, are you habitat? Are you uh, for profit? What are you? And one of the big things that they wanted us to work on, they had heard about this grant we got in 2015 from the James and John Knight Foundation mm-hmm. to to turn the old Lextran building into a public market, and so. We use that as our mandate to say, all right, this is what we're going to focus on. People want us to focus. We're going to focus. People are excited about the public market. That's what we're going to work on. And we're going to work on it as an extension of the night market. The night market has, over the past seven years now, we're in our seventh season, um, has brought us over 1,000 discrete vendors, uh, over 50% of which are from the neighborhood, from Council District 1. Um, tell tell the listeners what night market is so they yeah. understand. So the night market is a monthly free pop up uh, street art, craft and uh, products festival. It's basically a free pop up festival. Um, happens the first Friday of every month. 
The next one is uh, September 4th, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, and it goes through the end of the year, uh, uh, October, November, and then in December, um, I think we're going to be in the old Lextrain building as a way of sort of having a coming out party for the for that. the public market. Right. So we're, we're stay tuned for more details about that. But basically, we shut down the 700 block of Bryan Avenue. So we put barricades right at uh, where Bryan Avenue and North Limestone, yeah. where Bryan Avenue peels off North Limestone. There's a railroad tracks right there. Mm-hmm. And we line the streets with 40 to 50 art and craft vendors. There's always live music. It's free and open to everybody. Uh, West 6 um, is always there. They've been there since the beginning, serving beer. Um, Traditional Bank furnishes an ATM and sponsors the event. I love Kentucky it. For Kentucky, who, Kentucky for Kentucky, who's right there. Right. Um, always sponsors the sponsors the night market. And, um, you know, it's every month it's a different lineup of, of vendors. Uh, last month we had youth entrepreneurs, and so we had all uh, entrepreneurs under 30. Uh, a lot of them just out of high school, and it's really so inspiring to to see these young budding ambitions and minds, uh, and figure out how the night market can help foster those those ambitions, and then the public market being an extension of that. Where if they say, "Well, I want to do more than four you know four hours a month," you can move into a small kiosk um, in the in the the common market is what we're calling it right now. Mm-hmm. It will be renamed, but the working title is common market. Um, to move in there and have a small kiosk where they could pay a really reasonable rent and continue to grow their business. So that's really the the concept is trying to create jobs from within in a grassroots way, as opposed to, you know, the sort of typical economic development approach, which is trying to lure Amazon or trying to get Link Belt or Toyota or Train or you know all the big uh, Fortune 500 companies to come and create 50 or 100 jobs. We can create 100 jobs by creating 50 businesses a year yeah, and continuing great. to have that be a, an economic the, driver in that way. The night, so that's really the con. The night market yeah. is the entrepreneurial spirit at that event is awesome. I mean, it's like Thursday Night Live, really, on once a month on Friday night, except people are doing commerce. And, and I yeah. love seeing the energy of that. And probably a lot of good ideas are coming from the night market, right? Business yeah, I mean, ideas. We've had, lots of, we've had lots of successful uh, uh, businesses that have come out of it, you know, most notably Crank and Boom Ice Cream. Right. You know, Tao, That's what Tao I thought. Green, when we first met her, uh-huh. was Thai and Mighty Restaurant. And yeah. she started saying, "Well, I'm going to do. The, I'm doing this ice cream thing." And we thought, "All right, well, you'd make great Thai food. You could probably make great ice cream." And so she started vending uh, Crank and Boom ice cream and right there at the night market. And then within four years, you yeah. know, look where they're at. Um, they've got two two bricks and mortar. You know, they kind of moved their way up through. They they spent time. Uh, Lesme Romero has a. A, a shared kitchen space behind Pasta Garage on Delaware, mm-hmm. and so they took up residency there to do their production. Um, another one that's been successful, um, there's a Haitian family, uh, David Laurenville, who now has Beach House Restaurant on 6th Street, the bright yellow building right uh, between Opera and Limestone. Well, they started uh, serving out of chafing dishes at the night market and <laughs> oh, moved into God. Al's Bar and took over it. the kitchen and now have their own bricks and mortar, and that was in the span of three years, I believe. Um, so, you know, there've been a lot of success stories, um, you know, West six itself. I mean, when West six started, they were pretty fledgling when they, when we uh-huh. started with them, they just had their, you know, they just had their tap room. They had just re- uh, redeveloped the bread box, you know, the old rainbow, uh, bakery over on sixth and, uh, Jefferson. And now they've got a tap room down, uh, downtown. They've got right. the farm out in Frankfurt. They've just announced that they're expanding to Louisville in Nulu. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it's been just really tracking some of this redevelopment and the whole way along trying to make sure that it's benefiting those, uh, marginalized communities that need to benefit from it the most. So always pushing for diversity, always pushing for inclusion. Um, you know, in 2014, 2015, there was, uh, a woman who was managing the night market and, the the rap that the night market got was that it was just all hipsters and there was a hashtag white market you know all these different sort of criticisms of the night market uh-huh and so we we made a conscious effort to redirect and we hired a woman named samantha johnson who's 
a woman of color from Versailles, and she has she's now in her fourth year. She has done an amazing job. Yes, of she has. Really, really diversifying. You know, now you see families, you see people of color, you see elderly. It's not just you know twenty-something millennial white kids. It's everything, and you know, I, I'm really grateful that she has really put her back and her her brain into yeah. making that happen because. You know, the idea of making as much money as we can and just riding this wave, that could that would have been easy to do, quite frankly. Sure it would. But it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. And so I feel like I'm grateful that we had the, we were in a position to be able to make that shift, make yeah. that pivot, and to really take it in a direction that it's going now, which is one where we have cultural performances that range from belly dancing and steel drum performances and... Uh, you know, Youth Dream Lex had six performers there in August uh, doing dance performances, singing, playing music. It was really, really inspiring. So, The whole thing you know, is inspiring. We're getting close on time, Chris, real yeah, quick. Yeah, but, I understand. But in, and we, we've got to go with 57 on the hour. But tell, okay. us, tell us real quick what the uh, common market is going to be so everybody understands that in the old yeah. Lextran. So it's going to be building. a 20,000-square-foot. Um, multi-vendor market. If you've ever been to Finley Market in Cincinnati, if you've ever been to Columbus, Ohio, they have a market called North Market. There's Indianapolis City Market. They're all over the country. Basically, trying to revive this concept of the multi-vendor market. You know, going back to a time before there were Kroger's and yeah. and you know supermarkets. And you go back to the butcher is a, an independent business. The gro- right. the you know the green grocer is an independent business. And Got it. So it's going to be 50, 50, 50 small businesses, six food vendors. There's going to be a shared kitchen space. There's going to be a, a, a cultural stage. It's, There's going to be an indoor playground. Wow. And we got to go. for it to become, yeah. Well, Thank you. We're running out of time, Chris, but thank yeah, you it. so much. It's going to be a real exciting time. Tom North Stay with us.